Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about identifying people of peace, as they are the starting point for us to living on mission. If you have any questions about Missio, you want to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. So welcome. Good to see you guys. Uh, Christmas is over. New Year's is over. Welcome back. For those of you who've been traveling, I know we've had some families out of town. And so good to be back here with you today. Um, And by the way, um, I know Jana mentioned it earlier, but on the 29th, we're going to be doing baby dedications. So if there's families out there, I know we've even got some babies that aren't here yet that maybe, I don't know if that's too soon for you, but on the 29th, we're going to be doing a kind of a special family Sunday with baby dedications. And so also, Jana wanted me to mention that those Connect cards that you filled out with all your information, we're not going to spam you, we're not going to sell your information, but if you could just drop it in the, in the box in the back, that would be super helpful. We can collect those as you leave today. So we're in a new series starting today called How to Reach a City. It's a new year, and so we wanted to start off talking about vision. Where's Missio going for 2023? 2022 was an awesome year for us as a church, and uh, you know we moved into this home. We saw our church grow. We saw people grow in their faith and more um, just mission work happening. But in 2023, I want us to be laser-focused on where we're going, and so we're starting a series today. It's just a, a three-part. I'm going to be hitting this over the next few weeks and, and explaining where we're going as a church. And so for about the last month, I've been talking with leaders praying and just really chewing on what would help us move the ball forward to carry out the great commission of Jesus in this new year. And so as we talked about it and we tried to figure out, well, what what would really help us accomplish the mission of Jesus, we came up with a goal. And so we have a goal for 2023. And and this might not, I don't know how it's going to hit you guys. Um, Maybe it makes sense right away, maybe it doesn't. But I promise if it doesn't make sense right away, Stick with us through this series, and it will by the end. The light bulb will go on for you, okay? So here's our ministry goal for 2023. We want to identify collectively as a church, we want to identify 200 people apiece and to pray for them regularly, at least weekly, maybe more, maybe daily. And so the idea is this is a goal that's big, something that we can't just do on our own. We're going to do it as a, as a group of people, as a church family, And we really need God to show up and to move. Otherwise, we really can't accomplish anything on our own. And so some of you are going, I don't get it. What's a person of peace? And we're going to get into that in just a moment. Um, But I think what happens, if we can identify 200 people of peace and pray for them, and we see God begin to do amazing things in their lives, that will lead to more and more people understanding the gospel, being set free from the power of sin, I think we're going to be filling up the stock tank, doing some baptisms. I think we're going to see missional communities grow. I think we're going to see our serving impact in the community grow. It just impacts so many different areas of ministry, but it all starts with identifying people of peace, people who are open to the gospel. And so that's where we're headed today. Um, When we planted Missio, that was really the intent. The intent wasn't just to, hey, let's start a church on the south side of town and, you know, just create a campus of of another church, the idea is we want to reach people who don't know Jesus. We want to start a congregation where we can meet the needs of people and and find people who don't know Jesus and introduce them to Him. 
And so here's the thing. We can't reach people who don't know Jesus if we don't know people who don't know Jesus. I know it's a bit of a mouthful, right? But we can, as a church, reach people who don't know Jesus if we don't know people who don't know Jesus. And so that's where this idea of people of peace comes in. And as we go through this series, we're going to unpack this more and more. How do we do this? What does this look like? And hopefully um, we can accomplish this goal with God's help and, and we'll see Missio Church make a, a, a bigger and bigger impact on this part of our city. And so if we want to identify 200 people of peace, the first step is answering the question, what in the world is a person of peace? Many of you, if you've been around Missio for a while, we've taught about this in some of our circles and you know what people of peace are. It's like, yeah, I get it. Others of you maybe have never heard this before. You're like, I don't know what a person of peace is. It's not a term that we invented. We didn't come up with it. In fact, many ministries use this language, people of peace or persons of peace. Many mission agencies talk about this. And and so where we got it is from Scripture. It actually is is Jesus' idea. And so that's where we're going to go today. We're going to look at the Bible in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read some verses about how Jesus taught his disciples to do ministry. And I think we can learn quite a bit from the way Jesus did things. So if you have a Bible and you want to open to Luke chapter 10, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. I'm going to be in the NLT today, uh, Bible app, or we have it on the screen here. So starting in verse 1, Luke 10. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send out more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, May God's peace be on this house. And if those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on judgment day. So Jesus is giving his disciples some instructions about how to do ministry, right? He's he's, he's sending them out on mission. And there's a lot going on in this passage, and I'm not going to unpack every detail of it, but there's kind of some big ideas here that I want to focus on. And the first one is this. Jesus tells his disciples, the harvest is big. The harvest is big. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What what does that mean? Well, Jesus is talking about the harvest of souls. He's talking about lost people who need to know Jesus. And he used the harvest as an example. Jesus often did this in his teaching. He'd say, hey, look at the birds of the air, or look at this in the field. Like he would point to things that people could see to draw spiritual application, right? And that's what he's talking about, the harvest. This was an agricultural um, context. People understood what it means to harvest crops and, you know, plants, and we grow things, and then when they're ripe, we, we harvest them and we eat them. 
And so that people understood what Jesus was talking about, but he says there's a spiritual harvest going on, and it's ripe. It's plentiful, but there's not enough workers. Kind of sounds like where we're living right now in Bismarck, doesn't it? There's a shortage of workers. Pretty much everywhere you go, there's a shortage of workers. We see businesses closing and restaurants closing, and everybody's shorthanded, it seems like. And so it's not hard to kind of grasp this idea that there's more work to do than there are workers. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He says, there is more of a spiritual need. There are more people to be reached than there are workers to bring in the spiritual harvest. And so he says that to them and he says, but the first thing you need to do is pray. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest to send out more workers to his fields. So there's more work than you guys can handle. There's more work than, than all y'all can handle, right? So get some more people. We're going to pray to the Lord of the harvest and send out more workers. But he doesn't say just stop and wait. He says go. Now go to the 72. Go out into the field. And so he sends them out in faith. And I wonder how many of us really believe that the harvest is plentiful? Do we believe Jesus' words that the harvest is truly plentiful? Because I know for myself, there have been times where I'm thinking, man, people just don't want to hear about Jesus. They're just not really interested in the gospel. You know, I've tried that and I just kind of got shut down. And pretty soon we start to think, well, nobody really cares. This message just really isn't, you know, going to change anyone's life. And we start to believe that reality that people aren't interested in the gospel. So we have to come back and say, uh, our belief in what Jesus says about the harvest Either it's true, either Jesus is lying, or, or maybe we need to actually believe what he says. Because our belief in what Jesus says about the harvest radically changes how we live our lives. We're not going to be actively living in the harvest if we don't believe there is one. If we're, we're just like, people aren't interested. And so this is an unseen harvest, right? It's a spiritual thing, a desire that people have for good news. People want to know about Jesus, not everybody, but there are a lot of people and more people than we can handle. That's what, that's what Jesus is telling us here. And so just because we don't see it doesn't mean that there isn't a harvest. It'd be kind of like uh, inviting the Orkin man. You guys know what the Orkin man is, like the exterminator guy? Remember those little commercials? But the Orkin man comes into your house and you say, hey, would you inspect my house for termites? I know termites, termites aren't really a thing here, but in the South, they're very harmful to homes. And so he comes in, he says, yeah, you got termites. And you're like, I, I just don't see it, so I'm going to go with it. And then two years later, your living room's caving in because your joists are bad. Just because we don't see something or perceive it doesn't mean it's not a reality. And I think sometimes as, as people, we say, Jesus, I don't know. I, I don't see the harvest. It hasn't been my experience. I don't perceive it, and so maybe it's not real. It comes back to believing. What does Jesus say? The harvest is plentiful. There's more people in need than, than we can meet, right? And so he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest and go in faith. And so just because we don't see the harvest doesn't mean it's not there. And I don't think there's anything more exciting or fulfilling or energizing to, to a person, a Christian, than, than leading somebody else to faith. I mean, if you've ever done that, it is, it is the most awesome thing to be a part of. It's a miracle, and you see someone's life transformed by the power of the gospel, it's a rush, man. You get hooked on it. You're like, man, I want to see more of that. Jesus, show me more of that. And so as we begin to participate in the harvest and we trust the Lord of the harvest to bring people into his kingdom, 
Man, there's nothing more exciting than that. And, and I, I hope to see more of that in the life of our church in this new year. And so it's the harvest season only lasts for a time, right? And until Jesus returns, the harvest is still out. So we get to be a part of that. And I think we also need to remember who the harvest belongs to. It's God's harvest. It's his fields, his people. He does the saving work. The Holy Spirit changes the hearts of individuals. We don't do that. We just point people to Jesus and we say, he came to save. He can save the lost. And this is the message of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit transforms a person's life, right? So we participate in the harvest, but it's God's harvest. All right, so the disciples went out and they wanted to find people of peace. And these are people that are open to the good news of the kingdom. And so Jesus sends them out and he says, um, go find these people and pronounce a blessing on them. So what does that mean? Does that mean you go over to someone's house and you walk in and you say, I pronounce a blessing on your home? I mean, if you do that, you probably aren't getting invited back over, right? That's a little awkward, a little bit weird. And so I don't think this literally means you walk in and pronounce a blessing, a verbal blessing, but you bless them. And how do we, we talk about bless a lot in this rhythm. We bless through word, action, or gift, right? And so you bless them in word, action, or gift, and then see if the, the blessing returns to you. Do they bless you in return, or are they just kind of like, okay, thanks? Well, it's probably not a person of peace then, because people of peace reciprocate the blessing according to Scripture. And so we don't have to do weird stuff like walk into people's living rooms and you know, start spouting off blessings, but very natural things. This is just normal stuff that we do in life. We show up, we have a meal together, we bring something, you bless them, you maybe give them a compliment, hey, love your house, that's a word blessing. So for many of us, finding people of peace, um, you know, may seem like a mystery or maybe you realize that they're already in your life. There's already people in your life who are people of peace and sometimes it just takes a little bit of intentionality to recognize who they are. But Jesus tells his disciples, to focus on people of peace, right? To go out and to go on mission. And he tells them, don't bring extra sandals, don't bring extra clothes, don't, don't pack a bag of money. And, and as you apply this, I think what it means is travel light. Don't get all tangled up with a whole bunch of details in your life because sometimes we get all jammed up with life and we've got just too many things going on and it, it's a distraction from why we're here, why Jesus has us here in the first place. We're to bring glory to God and point others to Jesus. That's our mission. Everything else flows underneath that. But oftentimes in life, we get just fixated on so many different details. And I think Jesus is telling his, his followers, just keep it simple. Your needs will be met. People will take care of you. They'll return hospitality to you. You'll be okay. In one of my commentaries, uh, Michael Wilcox says it this way, the, mis the mission's urgency and the disciples' lack of attachment to earthly concerns are evident in how they travel. Ministry is the priority. And so they're focused on ministry. They're focused on making disciples. They're not focused on how many pairs of sandals do I have with or do I bring my favorite walking stick. And, you know, obviously there's some context here. We, we, we don't cruise around in sandals with walking sticks. Maybe you do. I don't, I don't want to speak for everybody. But um, it's a little different context, but I think the application is the same right? Keep focused on the priority of ministry. 
And Jesus sends them out in, as, as pairs and teams. We don't have to do the mission alone. Are you, aren't you glad for that? Like, I don't want to be a solo, like, missionary guy. Like, I love working together with other people. I'm collaborative. And I think Jesus' intent is for us to go on mission as a group. And we, we rely on each other's strengths and different personalities. And we've even seen this play out in the life of Missio. We've had people of peace who have gotten to know one family and then another family and there's kind of this networking and different people relate in different ways and they have different personalities and, and it's just really a beautiful thing when we get to work together and it takes some of the pressure off to say, man, I just gotta, I gotta do this all on my own. We get to be a, a team, a family. And so he says, go out and eat and drink with people and you know, spend time around the table. Who can't do this? We love to eat, don't we? Who doesn't love to eat? Come on, right? We spend time around the table. and We've talked a lot about the eat rhythm and how valuable that is. And um, the reason that it's so impactful is because we all eat all the time. We have three meals a day, most of us. And so the table is this flat surface that we sit at and it's the equalizer because I sit across from somebody. I'm not better than you. We have an equal need for food. We have an equal need for nourishment. And so it's kind of this equalizer of like, hey, we're coming around with a common need. And what happens around the table? Conversations, stories, business deals. I mean, you name it. Like the table is a great place to build relationships with people, to get to know them. And it was a big deal back in Jewish culture as well. If you sat down with somebody at your table, it was, a, it was like saying, I accept you. It was a term of, uh, or a form of acceptance. And so, it, you know, it's, it's started way back in Jesus' day, but it's still the same for us. I love how the table has just transcended time and culture. And so many of us, um, we say, well, okay, people of peace. Where are we going to find people of peace? And if you're struggling to do that, I'm just going to give some, some real practical stuff. We find people of peace where we live, where we work, and where we play. So where you live, your neighborhood, who are your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? Do they know you? We live in a culture where people like to just like drive into the garage and, you know, the, the door comes down and, and they evaporate. We never see anybody, right? And people just kind of disappear into their homes. And I know it's a tough time in the winter, it's cold out, but people are still out shoveling, getting mail, snow blowing. Do we take the time to get to know our neighbors? Do we take the time to ask them how their Christmas was and, and just make a little small talk? Because that little conversation, that little intentionality can lead to, hey, you want to come over for coffee and pie? Like, or, 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 hey, we're going to, in the summertime, maybe do a barbecue or a, you know, some kind of a thing in our neighborhood. Tons of opportunities, but it just starts with a little bit of intentionality, doesn't it? So that, that was the first one. The next one is where we work. And I know that we can run the gamut on this. Some people work in a very large corporation with tons of employees, tons of coworkers. Some of you work in a, in a situation where you just have a handful of people. And there's lots of nuances to all that. But here's the thing. Do you know your coworkers? Do you know their stories? Do you know their hobbies? Uh, do you talk to them, get to know them? And, and maybe some of those conversations lead to something that happens outside of work. People of peace can be found where you work. And then where you play. Where do you like to have fun? Do you go to the gym? Do you, um, I don't know, we went ice skating the other day. Maybe you go ice skating a lot. I don't know. Whatever it is that you do, skiing, 
where do you play? Where are the, the places you hang out? Or maybe it could be a coffee shop or a restaurant that you go to regularly on your date night. Um, and so the key here is predictable pattern, right? Is it a place that you're going to over and over seeing the same people? If it's the coffee shop, the people behind the counter, they know your drink before you even order it. They get to know your name. And that leads to conversation. And people of peace can be found when we have a predictable pattern and we get to know their stories, they get to know ours. That leads to more and more opportunities for the gospel, right? And, and I would say too, like, um, when you have kids, man, that's such a great way to meet people. You're sitting at a, a sporting event or a school event next to a whole bunch of other parents, maybe the same parents. If your kids are on a sports team together, get to know them. Just start those relationships. But so often we're just kind of on our phone or we get the air, you know, earbuds in or whatever. Just make an intentional effort to get to know people. That's where it starts. And so people of peace are... People that enjoy being with us, they enjoy spending time with us, and we enjoy spending time with them. People of peace aren't a drag to be around. You guys probably know some, some people in your life that you just don't like to hang around with. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're probably not people of peace, okay? People of peace are ones that we want to spend time with. They enjoy being with us. We enjoy being with them. And people of peace will often serve you or meet a need. Uh, I recently had a conversation with a friend of mine and we were talking about this very thing, people of peace. And he says, I just, I don't have any people of peace in my life. I said, okay, well, let's talk about that. And we, we just continued to discuss. The next thing you know, he goes, you know what? I actually have this guy that I work with, and I've worked with him for about 10 to 15 years, and he came to visit me when I was sick in the hospital. And then when I went home, he helped me move this couch into my house, and he's done a bunch of yard projects with me. And I borrowed his pickup truck, and we just enjoy hanging out. And I'm like, I think that's a person of peace. I mean, if I ever saw one. And so the light bulb just kind of went on. And, and I think for some of us, maybe we've got people of peace in our lives and we just haven't recognized it yet. We just haven't kind of connected the dots and say, well, we enjoy spending time together. Maybe God's opening up an opportunity for me to, to reach out with the gospel, Right? And so if you're struggling to know what to do next, maybe you've identified somebody in your life and you're like, I just don't know what next steps to take. I want to share kind of a step-by-step -step plan here. And this is from Ben Sternkey. I want this just to be very practical and helpful. So step number one, find the person of peace, the person who is open to you, is interested in you. They like to be around you. Again, someone who we enjoy spending time together. Number two, go to their turf where they're comfortable. Don't, don't force some awkward situation just go hang out where they want to be. Number three, allow them to serve you or show hospitality. Some of us really struggle with this, letting somebody else serve us. We're like, no, 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 no. Hey, I can bring something. No, just bring yourself. It's like, no, let them bring something. They want to serve you. They want to bless you. Number four, spend intentional time with them. Be available. And then number five, be ready to do the works of the kingdom and speak the good news of the kingdom in appropriate ways. It's not difficult to find people of peace. Most of us already have somebody in our lives. And if not, well, we can, we can go out and, and look for them, right? Where we live, work, and play. So we know Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to redeem people. That's why he came. Jesus came down from heaven. He left the glory of heaven. He came down. He said, 
I need to help you deal with this sin problem, and I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue lost people. That's why Jesus came. We know that. And then he said, I want to reach more people. And so he gave us the Great Commission. He said, go make disciples of all nations. Right? And so he sent out the 72. He said, go find people who are open to the good news of the kingdom and proclaim the kingdom. Eat and drink with them. Heal the sick. Proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus wants his mission to spread. He wants more people in our city to know his saving power, to know the, the truth of the gospel that will set them free. And so the 72 were sent out to establish relationships with people, and they were to live as good news people. That's what Jesus wanted. He said, represent me, represent my Father, represent our heart, and show them what the kingdom is like. And so they were to spend time with people, again, around the table, in homes, and um, they stayed in people's homes. I think there's a little bit of a context there. Like, if you uh, were to travel to Dickinson, you might just get a hotel. Like, back in that day, it was not uncommon to stay in someone's home, like just going from town to town. Might be a little weird now. I don't know. You can stay with people, but uh, I don't think that's really prescriptive for how we're to do ministry. But the point is that we get involved with people's lives. We care about them. We love them. And we, we live as good news people just as the first disciples did. And maybe you've been around church for a while. Maybe you've been um, through some classes. I know for me in seminary, we were trained in evangelism. Like, how do you reach people? How do you share the gospel? And most of what I've learned in my life, in my experience, has been confrontational evangelism. You meet somebody, and as quick as you can get to the gospel, you share it, and you get them across the finish line, and we convert them, and then we move on. And it's kind of like they're a project, like we're, or, or like a sales pitch. Anybody else feel a little bit like you've been through something like that, maybe? And I know for me, I didn't really care about the person that much. I had concern for their eternity, but I just didn't love them. And I think the way Jesus is modeling for us in Scripture, the way He did ministry, and the way He sent out His disciples to do ministry, was based in love, was based in relationship based in a, a genuine concern for the person that, yeah, I care about your eternity. I care about your life now, too. And I'm going to walk with you through whatever the junk is that you're going through. It's compassionate. And so Jesus calls us to live as good news people, not as salespeople. This isn't a sales pitch. This isn't a, hey, we're going to hurry up and get to this and then move on. We're to live as good news people, being good news. We talked about this in the early days of Missio. How do, we, how do we serve people? How do we reach people who don't know Jesus without making them feel like a project? Nobody wants to feel like a project. But people want to be loved, truly loved. And so, um, just giving you an example, there's a, a family in Missio, and I, I don't want to share names just because it's kind of an ongoing situation, but one family met this other family, and they were people of peace. And they'd probably been, I don't know, in relationship for at least a year, maybe more. And the relationship grew, and another family within Missio got to know them. And so there's these two families reaching out to these people of peace. And they seem to be showing up to all this stuff. So we're like, well, let's just go ahead and invite them to our missional community and to Sunday morning. And so that invitation was made. But the people of peace, they were like, nah, we're just really not ready for that. And so it's like, okay, there was a risk taken, an invitation was given, they weren't ready, that's okay. So then my friend reaches out and he, to this person of peace and he says, I just want you to know 
that if you never come to our missional community, if you never come to a church service, I'm still going to be your friend. We're still going to hang out. I still love you. I just want you to know that there's no strings attached. And that just, oh man, melted his heart because he's like, I've had so many church people treat me like a project. Treat me like you're just in this because you want me to do what you want me to do. And when he realized that, no, this was just genuine love, genuine friendship, it really brought his guard down. And so, like I said, it's an ongoing situation, but nobody wants to be a project. Everybody wants to be loved and treated with respect. And I think um, identifying people of peace and just being there and being good news to them is so much different than what so many churches try to do and Christians try to do with the sales pitch. So Jesus wants his followers to represent the kingdom of God. He wants us to see people as he sees them, as image bearers, valuable, his creation that he deeply loves and wants to reach. And and we just get to be an extension of that. So it's not up to us to try to save people, to come to the rescue, to have this Messiah complex. We're just being good news for those that don't know Jesus. So as we talk about this 200 people apiece, it might seem like a lot, but what if we just start with one? What if each of us just begin to pray and say, Lord, is there somebody in my life already that, that you want me to reach out to or just to invest some time into? And I think if we begin to, to, to pray and just ask the Lord of the harvest, what do, you, what do you want? That he'll begin to reveal who those people of peace are. And so I want to pause right here uh, and just have a little discussion. I want to see how we're, we're interacting with this. So um, we do this sometimes, I miss you, don't freak out, it's not, not weird, but uh, just don't be shy because something you have to say might really encourage somebody else, even more so than everything I've set up here today, okay? So the first question is this, why is it sometimes hard for us to believe Jesus' statement that the harvest is plentiful? Jesus said that, right? Harvest is plentiful. Why is it sometimes hard for us to believe that? We live in our bubbles of like all this stuff that we need to do and our checklists and our families and stuff. So it feels overwhelming sometimes to look outside of that because mm-hmm. we feel like we're already too busy with distractions and everything inside of our own life. That to mm-hmm. look out to see the harvest, it's yeah. taking up. Yeah, she said, so we, we live in our bubble and we sometimes are so preoccupied with what's going on in our lives that it's hard for us to look beyond to see other people's needs, right? Yeah, we get, we kind of inward focus, right? What else? We try to, we've previously tried to share and then been rejected. Yeah, nobody likes to be rejected. That's kind of crummy. No, that, no, like negative experiences are so much more powerful than positive, so let's say we Yep. Yeah. He said, so negative experiences really seem to sometimes outweigh the positive. So out of 10, 10 experiences, if you have two bad ones, that might begin to kind of sway us even though we had eight good ones, right? Yeah. Rejection isn't something we like to deal with. But do you remember who else was rejected? Jesus? Yeah. I'm not saying we just need to toughen up, but, you know, there, there's an element of, like, not everybody does want to hear the gospel. But if Jesus is right, there's a lot of people who do, and that's where finding these people of peace, we, we kind of narrow it down. So we're not just kind of going after people who are totally like, hey, man, not interested in your thing. The people who are like, 
no, I, I want to be around you. I want to maybe find out why your life is a little different than mine, right? So maybe less rejection? I don't know. I, I would like to think so. Um, so the second question is this. What opportunities or challenges do you see in your own life to developing relationships with people of peace? So as you think of this idea of pe- people of peace, what are maybe some opportunities you haven't seen before? Maybe, maybe a light bulb's going on, or, or maybe there's some challenges. You're like, man, this is hard because of X. I think, you know, challenges, I mean, you're always challenging just selfishness. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that, that's the challenge. You have to die to self to really develop those relationships. It takes sacrifice, it takes time. You want to come up here and just preach? Like, <laughs> he's right on. Like, it's selfishness. So many, like, that dying to self is like the first step to any of this. To caring about people, loving. And it's so easy to become selfish and be like, I got my own thing, my own stuff, don't have time for anybody. But Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, die to yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And it's not a drag. It's actually an opportunity to real life. Jesus isn't saying, you just got to be a, you know, this is going to be a huge bummer for you. He said, this is where real life is found. We don't believe that most of the time, right? Any other opportunities? That's, that's a challenge for sure, Andy. Anybody thinking like, man, I, I think I've got an opportunity in my life to, to meet some people of peace that maybe I didn't realize before today. So like inflatable events that you put on in the summer are great opportunities that are like really low pressure. Yeah. People and other like outreach things like that. Um, and you know, we've done like the neighborhood parties and that kind of thing where just like you said, kind of challenge. We're going to talk about that next week a lot. So, cool. But what Kara said is, is doing some kind of an event, like the inflatables or a neighborhood barbecue, is such an opportunity. And it is because then we can do it as a team, right? Like we can rely on each other. We don't have to just do it all ourselves. This is a team effort, guys. Like we get to be a family. We get to be on mission together. And it's pretty easy to just throw a party and invite people. And it's actually kind of fun. And we enjoy it. So the third question is this, what needs to change in your heart or attitude to live as a good news person? Kind of as, you know, not as a salesperson, but as a good news person. What needs to change in your heart or attitude to live as a good news person? Nothing? I think to kind of piggyback what you're saying about we want to, when we tell someone the good news or show them that we want to see the end, and sometimes, it's like I tell my kids all the time, you guys are seed planters. Yeah. And that's hard because sometimes you plant a lot of seeds and you don't see growth. Yeah. It's hard not to because people always ask, well, how many people have you led to Christ? Right. Like, well, none yet, but I've planted a lot of seeds. It's hard to be just right. a seed planter. But that's, yeah. what, that's what exactly this is. It's just planting the seed and, and helping it grow. And make, you never might get the fruit from it. You mm-hmm. might not, but just to be okay with that. But, Maybe many years from now, that person, that seed, that little seed that was planted, might come, something might come with it, you know? So the heart change behind that is trusting God with the outcome instead of trusting me for the outcome. 
right? So I don't know if you guys could hear that. She, she talked about how sometimes we plant seeds and we don't know where, where the growth comes from, or we know where it comes from, but what the process is going to look like, right? And so we have to trust God with the outcome and say, Lord, you're in, you're in charge. I'm just going to be faithful. I'm just going to invest my life. And it's not up to us to seal the deal, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. And so that's, that's just got to be a, a trusting God with the outcome. Because so many of us want to take credit. Well, I've led X amount of people to the Lord, or I've done this, or I've done that. And it's like, it's not about that. Jesus doesn't love you anymore if you lead 300 people to Christ than if you lead one person or zero people to Christ. He loves you the same. It's not about performance, right? We gotta, we gotta let that go. We get to, we get to lead people to faith, and that's awesome, and we'll celebrate that, but it doesn't, it isn't our worth. It isn't our performance, right? Okay, so you guys got note cards. You get one of these. Everybody get one of these and a pen. Um, what I'm going to ask you to do, and we're going to do this over the next few weeks. So our goal is to identify 200 people apiece as a church. If there's somebody on your heart already, you're like, man, that person, yeah, I can, I can see it. They're a person apiece. Just jot down their first name and last initial. We don't need your name on there. We don't need their full name. We're trying to respect people's privacy. We're not trying to like make some, you know, we're not data mining here and going to sell out some of list to people. But um, this is just for us to be able to pray on a first name basis for those who uh, we feel like God might be doing something. So if you have one person, write it down. If you have three people, write them down. And we're going to drop it in the box on the cafe, Jana. Is that where you want them? In that you can just slip them into that black box that's on the cafe on your way out. And if you feel like today you're like, man, I just don't know if I have any people of peace. That's okay too. Just pray about it. And maybe in the next week or two, God will start to reveal somebody in your life that we can identify. Because I believe, I truly believe that if we trust God with the outcome of this goal for 2023, that we're going to see amazing things happen in the life of our church. We're going to see people set free from sin. We're going to see people understand the gospel. We're going to see some baptisms. We're going to be filling up the kids' room upstairs. It's just going to be amazing. And I can't think of anything more important than the Great Commission, what Jesus gave us, to make disciples. There's nothing nothing else I want to give my life to, my time to, than to investing in people's eternity. There's nothing more valuable. And so I hope that... um, Again, that this makes sense to you. If it doesn't, stick with us. A couple more weeks, we're going to unpack this. We're going to talk about prayer. Uh, we're going to talk about how we pray for people and how we rely on God's power. We're going to talk next week about how we um, kind of know what next steps to take based on how much challenge and how much trust we've built in a relationship. And so it's going to be very practical, very helpful. But I just let's just uh, take a moment, fill out those cards and drop them in the back. And I'm just going to pray for us right now. God, Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and be inspired, Lord, by how you sent out your 72, the 72 disciples. And you gave them specific instructions about how to build relationships with people. And Lord, we learn from that and and we understand that it's not up to us to make the harvest happen. It's your harvest. We're just resting in that reality. Lord, we're not out to build our church or to accomplish something or prove something. We just want to be faithful. We, we believe the gospel. We believe it's good news. We've, our lives have been changed. Our eternity has been changed because of it, and we want to share that with other people. There's a lot of people in our cities 
that, that don't know you, Jesus. There are people in Bismarck and Lincoln and Mandan and the surrounding areas that, that need you. And there's more work than we can handle. And so we do pray. Send out more workers. Activate more people in their faith. Activate us in our faith. To live as disciples, to live as good news people. So that we can see more and more people set free and understand how great you are, Lord. And so we commit this year to you. We commit this series to you. And, and everything that comes after, we give you the glory. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Josh left us with a few takeaways for today. We can't reach people who don't know Jesus if we don't know people who don't know Jesus. The harvest is big. Jesus tells us that there are more people to be reached than there are workers to bring in the spiritual harvest. Our belief in what Jesus says about the harvest radically changes how we live our lives. And just because we don't see the harvest doesn't mean it's not there. Finding people of peace. We find people of peace where we live, work, and play. People of peace are people that enjoy having you around or you enjoy being around. They will often serve you or meet a need. Don't forget, be good news people. Jesus calls us to live as good news people, not salespeople. Discussion questions. Why is it hard sometimes for us to believe that Jesus' statement that the harvest is plentiful? What opportunities or challenges do you see in your own life to developing relationships with people of peace? What needs to change in your heart or attitude to live as a good news person? Thanks again, Missio Church. God bless, and we will see you next week.